Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. So we're going to continue um, this morning um, our series on the Jesus lifestyle. If you are visiting, um, so welcome that you are here. Uh, for each person that's here today, our prayer is that you'd receive something from the Word of God as we share it with you today. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the teaching of uh, Jesus out of the book of Matthew chapter 5 through to 7 and looking at the way that he challenges us as to how we are meant to truly live our lives. And some of the things that we looked at, we looked at uh, the key to happiness, um, uh, there's some teaching in there about how we can be happy, how we find true joy. Uh, we looked at how to understand the Old Testament. That was a, ser- uh, a, a, a sermon that we did on a Sunday night. We looked at mercy and forgiveness. Um, last weekend, we looked at how to handle anger. It's such a, such a real thing today, anger. People are getting angrier. Um, tonight, we're looking at uh, understanding sex in the 21st century. That'll be a hot topic, that one. So we're really looking forward to that tonight, that'll be uh, that. But this morning we're looking at a, a, quite a controversial uh, topic because this morning we're going to look at what Jesus taught about marriage and divorce. And we want to begin this morning by looking at a, a verse of Scripture out of the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Now we're up to 31, we've made it to there, 31, 32. It says this, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery as well. They're the words of Jesus straight out of the word of God. And we're going to unwrap those in a couple of moments time. I believe one of the most painful things that a person can go through is that of a divorce, of separation. Uh, I think there's quite a number of painful things that people can go through. But my observation is that divorce can be one of the most painful things that an individual can experience in their journey of life. I remember a number of years ago, many years ago, uh, one of my family members um, suffered the pain of a divorce. And I just remember watching uh, this person and seeing the devastation that they experienced as they were walking through it. And for this family member in particular, it was something that they really didn't want to do, but were forced into do. And you know, I watched, um, we watched them over several years work through the, the pain that was in their heart over a number of years before eventually they, be, they became healed and restored again. But divorce is such a, such a painful thing that people can go through. And just a few thoughts about divorce in Australia today. Uh, this is something the church doesn't talk much about, is it? Right, okay. But it's good for us to hear, amen? But today in Australia, there are huge numbers of people who are going through the pain of divorce. In 2016, the Australian Bureau of Statistics said that there were 118,400 marriages that were registered in Australia, and in that same year, 46,604 divorces were granted in Australia. In fact, the divorce rate is almost 50% in Australia today. Nearly 50% of marriages will end in divorce in the first five years of marriage, which is absolutely devastating. Sad statistics, because the issue of divorce or remarriage is a controversial one. It's a controversial one in the world. It's also a controversial one in the church as well. And it's very stressful as well because it affects so many people. Each divorce, listen to this thought this morning, each divorce represents many people. Family members, children, what it does to them, um, friends um, of those individuals, and not forgetting the individuals who are actually going through the divorce. And that's why I believe that, that, that God says in the Word that God hates divorce. In Malachi chapter 2, 16, this is what the Word of God teaches, or He says, this is what God says. He says, 
For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates it because of the pain, because of the, the anguish, because of the hurt, because of the seeds that are sown into potential children. If they're a part of that, 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 that mess that can take place as well. And you know, the issue of divorce was also a hot topic in Jesus' time. Just to give you a few little thoughts this morning, um, in Jesus' time, uh, family life stood in danger of destruction. When Christianity first came into the world, listen to this, it sounds like today. In Greco-Roman world, relationships outside of marriage were considered normal. Sounds a bit like today, doesn't it? Anyway, move on, Shane, shut up. Considered normal. And uh, the written or oral notice in the presence of two witnesses was enough for a couple to be divorced. In fact, it was almost like uh, the straightforward uh, process for the Pueblo Indian's wife who simply divorced her husband by leaving his moccasins at the front door of their hut. Come home, that's a bad sign. <laughs> divorced. But unfortunately, it can be like that today, such a simple and quick thing. In Jewish law, a man had the right to divorce his wife, but the woman had no such right. And all the man had to do was to hand the woman a document in the presence of two witnesses. And as a result of that, their marriage was ended. Um, the grounds of divorce varied upon the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm moving quickly this morning because we've got a bit of content to get through, if that's all right with everyone. Um, it could be um, uh, it, from Deuteronomy chapter 24, the interpretation of divorce can be varied. It could be a woman who committed adultery, or a husband found out something lewd about her wife, or she was accused of gossiping on the streets, or even losing her looks, or all the way to having an unsightly mole on her face. They could be some of the interpretations for a man to be able to issue a divorce license to his wife. But this morning, what I find really interesting about Jesus' teaching um, on divorce and marriage is this thought here. It's interesting when the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19 start to question Jesus about divorce, that the first thing that Jesus begins to speak about is marriage. The first thing that he begins to speak about is marriage. Have a look at it this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through to 6, it says this, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Wow, that's controversial. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's controversial. And the two of them shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. There are many views today about the nature of marriage, the secular world. Uh, that we live in regards it as a self-chosen, self-created, and self-sustained institution. Many would view it as a contract, and like any contract, a contract can be cancelled. Truth is this, the world sees marriage as a contract, but God sees marriage as a covenant. Huge difference between the two. It's often seen as a rom romantic alliance. I'm in love. And if love dies, there's no reason to continue. I'm not in love anymore. Marriage was never intended to be based upon those, those, uh, what's the, anyway, I can't think of the Greek word to define love, eros, I think. Romantic love, it was meant to be based upon a commitment to one another. It's commonplace for prenuptials today to be put in, in, in place, covering all your bases in case it goes wrong. How crazy is that? 
when we see how Jesus responds to the Pharisees' questions about divorce, we see that Jesus had the highest view on marriage because through this, he draws four conclusions that I want to share with you this morning and then we'll be done, almost. Number one, marriage involves two people, one man and one woman. I'm allowed to say that publicly. For the rest of you, though, be careful. But Jesus says there, number one, marriage involves two people, a man and a woman. Not politically correct, but I don't care. Interesting, uh, there's, a, there's an, an incredible organization um, in London today. Uh, it's ran by a, a lady called um, Andrea Williams. I heard her speak last year. She runs an organization called Christian Concern. Now, Google it. Go there. Have a look at it. Christians, Christian Concern. She's a barrister. And she defends um, Christians right across the country that are being persecuted for their faith. In fact, um, on that website there we see a, uh, in London, a, a Dr. Dave Macarath was sacked for saying he believes that gender is biological. Go and have a look at some of the things that are happening in the UK right now around this whole issue and Christians being persecuted because they believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. So that's the first thought that Jesus draw, we can draw out of what Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 19. Number two, the second thought about what Jesus said here, marriage entails leaving parents by this public act which breaks the link with the former family. The former family is not rejected now, but marriage now, the, the marriage act now uh, sets, sets about or establishes a new family. A new family has been formed through the act of marriage. Third thought that we can draw, third conclusion that Jesus brings out of that teaching there, there is a uniting and personal commitment. The word here uh, implies passion and permanence. A bond intended to be deep and lasting. Amen? Deep and lasting. That's the third conclusion that we can draw. The fourth one you're going to find quite interesting. I would expect many people this morning. The fourth conclusion that Jesus brings out of that, that teaching, that regard that he had for marriage is this. Number four. Two will become one flesh. Listen to what he said. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Notice what it says here. What God has joined together through the act of sexual intercourse, people, two people become one flesh before God. Please don't think I'm being vulgar with what I'm about to say. The act of sex is not just a transferring of fluids, but it's a deep joining of one life to another. God holds marriage in such high regard. Why? Because of the power of marriage and the power of sexual intercourse. Listen to the teaching or the writings of Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 16 to 17. He says, Do you not know he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Listen to it again. Um, uh, for... for uh, for the two, he says, shall become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. God intended the act of sex through marriage to be the act and the gift in which two people were joined together and made one flesh in his sight. I want to just re are you all right? <laughs> You're not bored? If you are, just close your eyes and I'll get it. 
again, you know, I just enjoy the journey that we're taking through Matthew chapter 5 to 7 because we're touching on topics that normally we wouldn't touch on. But listen to what Dr. Alan Myers says about this whole thought of the power of sex for to become one. He says, God has invested in humanity a physical, emotional capacity to bring two bodies together, fashioned on the model of spiritual intimacy, bringing two spirits together in one. If we were to understand a little of the impact of the joining together in the spirit, we could understand the consequences of its physical counterpart. Just as the personality of Jesus imprinted on my personality as I worship him, which leaves me changed and bearing a deeper and deeper impression of his divine person, so too physical intercourse provides an opportunity for one human personality to impress itself on another human personality and leave an indelible mark on the soul and spirit. It just ain't sex, brothers and sisters. It's far more than that. So this is why I believe God hates divorce. What God has joined together should not be torn apart. God's model for marriage is the best and the most beautiful. Hallelujah. It involves an order. You leave, you cleave, and with that, sex takes place, and, and eventually you'll have children. Amen. God's order. You leave, and you cleave, and you have sex, and children, and family, and the whole thing. It's great. The world's messed it up, though. So often it starts with sex and cohabita uh, cohabitation, and then a child arrives. It's the other way around. And I want to share with you this morning some stats. Less than 5% of cohabiting. Co co oh, can someone say that word for me? Cohabiting. Less than 5% of cohabiting couples stay together after 10 years. 50% of cohabiting couples split up within five years of having their first child. But listen to the stats on marriage with Christ in the center of it. You ready for it this morning? Couples who are married by a minister, attend church regularly, read the Bible and pray together on a regular basis, the divorce rate is one out of 1,105 marriages. And who said coming into the house of God and worshiping wasn't important? It is so important. So important to have Christ in the center of our marriages. Amen. So a few thoughts about marriage and divorce this morning. First thought is this, speaking to those that aren't married yet. If you're not married yet, don't rush into a marriage. Don't rush into it. Remember many years ago in Newcastle, there was a, a young couple. They would have been around the uh, 19, and I'm not, not saying that the age was the thing, but as we uh, met with the couple and started to get to know them, wow, we could just see that there were some huge red flags there. And they wanted to rush into the marriage. And we were like, well, we're not really feeling too, too um, confident about you just taking this step and rushing into it. But we you know, were pressured by the family and eventually we, we did the wedding. And, and um, I won't say we regretted it, but we just felt that it wasn't right. Um, $70,000 for, uh, for, for the wedding and uh, 18 months later, totally devastated. Totally devastated. Never rush in. Young people, um, people, people that aren't married yet but are wanting to, don't, don't rush into it. Understand how, how powerful and how important and how sacred marriage is before God. Um, another little thought for, for people, I love saying this one because it's so true. Don't focus on looking for the right person, focus on becoming the right person. Amen? We're always looking for the right person. No, focus on becoming the right person. Understand, and the third little thought for people, understand that God knows your needs. He knows, or Anna's here too. He knows your needs, amen. I remember for, for me, um, uh, for, for, for Rach and I, um, I, I was, uh, what, how old was, 
I was 31, I think, when we got married. You were 27. Oh, you were 27. That made me nearly 33. Goodness gracious me. I was 33. I mean, I remember, I remember through that journey, you know, I was um, serving in the church and doing all sorts of whatever, da 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 But I remember sometimes I was just so desperate for a partner. So, God, I'd, I'd give my right arm if you just sent the right woman to me, you know, prayed stupid prayers in this whole pursuit of trying to find the right partner. But, you know, I found the more that I just focused on Jesus and the more that I focused on his call for my life, the less and less I was driven by that need that I had on the inside. And ultimately, God brought Rachel to me. Hallelujah. Uh, we tell people how we met. We met in the back of a four-wheel drive. <laughs> Rachel came to um, listen to me preach at, at Newcastle. We were heading to conference. And um, we were set up by a, a lady. She was a... a, a what, anyway, she arranged the meeting. And Rachel was sitting in a four-wheel drive, and I went out and met her in the back of the four-wheel drive. That's how it happened, just for the record, just to make everyone, whew, what are you talking about up here? So for those that aren't married, don't rush. Focus on becoming the right person and knowing that God will meet your needs. Amen? He will. Second thought, if you're married but struggling, understand again how sacred your marriage is. Your marriage is sacred. Paul's teaching to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. All of us who are married need to be committed to building stronger marriage, and we need to see our marriage as the highest priority. You should have amen then. Like any, like any relationship, it needs an investment of time. And if the grass is greener on the other side, then it's time to start watering your own. If you're here today, man or woman, and you think the grass, you've got a thought in your mind that the grass is greener on the other side, then start to water your own. Because it could just take one thought that you allow just to, to you know, what about her or what about him and... You know, my hubby, he's fat and ugly and whatever. And oh, look at him. He looks like Brad Pitt. All it takes is a few thoughts and before you know it, you're down a path that could lead to destruction. So if you think the grass is greener on the other side, get out the hose and water it, baby. Do whatever you need to do. More marriages break down through the lack of communication than for any other reason. Seek help if you need it knowing how sacred your marriage is. The fundamental rule in God's eyes is that marriage is permanent and divorce should be ruled out. The fundamental rule in God's eyes is that marriage is permanent and divorce should be ruled out. Um, if I could just have the musicians come back up and we'll conclude. You know, I, I think of uh, um, using uh, Rachel and I as an example. Um, you know, in our marriage journey, um, we have gone through some terrible times be honest with you this morning some really dark times um, sometimes for weeks on end <laughs> it's mainly because of me well, you shake your head and say it's all because of me <laughs> we have terrible just not wanting to talk and not wanting to resolve and getting angry with one another 
and sometimes saying things that you thought, why, I should never have said that. But you know, for us both in this journey, uh, separation or divorce has never been on the table. Never. Because we're married. And we've got to work through whatever issues that we have. Things are good at the moment. Amen? You can shake your head again. Everyone can see your head. Shake like that, so it's all right. We are good. <laughs> we better be good. <laughs> Three weeks in a four-wheel drive together. <laughs> That's scary. Rachel's thinking that, not me. No. But it's never been on the table. And some couples throw that at each other. Marriage is holy, it's sacred. So I'll finish this morning. What then are the grounds for divorce, for separation, for remarriage? Well, Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 19, Jesus teaches that adultery and um, 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 fornication are reasons for divorce. But that doesn't mean in a marriage if those things are taken taken place that the marriage still can't be healed divorce is really about a hardness of heart you look at the scripture Jesus said that that God granted to Moses in Deuteronomy um, grounds for divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts it was never God's intention for people to divorce when they got married but because of the hardness of heart so adultery sexual immorality 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about an an unbelieving partner. If they choose to walk out, then that partner is released from that marriage vow. The unbelieving partner. From my reading of scriptures, these would be grounds for divorce that would allow someone to remarry without committing adultery. I would also add to this list this morning other grounds for divorce of physical and emotional abuse. These would be grounds for divorce as well when someone's living in a toxic situation. toxic marriage environment and the other person's not willing to seek help to change after an extended period of time i would i would i would expect that that would be grounds for divorce as well someone that's living in an abusive relationship being being abused um, physically or verbally that that would be grounds for someone to be able to nullify their wedding as well their marriage as well finish with this this morning before steve comes my fear for many Christian couples today, they divorce because they feel they no longer love their partner. For them to divorce and remarry knowing God's view on marriage, I think that one day you'll have to give an account for that. Because marriage in the eyes of God is meant to be permanent. Permanent. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for the teachings the words of Jesus today. Father, I just pray for every person here today. I prayed for our uh, um, married couples this morning. I pray your blessing. Strengthen them. Encourage them in this incredible gift that you've given to us, Lord. For those people that are here today and may have walked through the pain of a divorce, I pray today for your healing, for your grace, for your reconciliation. You are the God of mercy. 
with a God of grace and forgiveness. So we just thank you today for that. For those that aren't married today, Lord, I just pray today for your wisdom, for your guiding, for your leading, knowing how important, how you see marriage as an incredible gift that you've given to us. And that it's not a contract, it's a covenant that we make before you with one another. So Father, thank you today. I pray your blessing upon every person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.